Eagles Entertainment. Welcome, Eagles everywhere, to the Eagles Insider Podcast, presented by Lincoln Financial Group. Eagles Insider Dave Spadaro with you. And look, we're, we're at a period right now where we're getting ready for free agency, and then after that, the NFL draft. So we want to give you all a chance to get to know the Eagles coaching staff. Nick Sirianni has hired his staff. We heard from Coach Nick last week about that. In this Eagles Insider Podcast episode, we are going to visit with one of my guys from the, uh, the good old days, back to the better days right here. Michael Clay rejoins the Philadelphia Eagles as the special teams coordinator. Uh, he was here, of course, during the Chip Kelly years, went out to San Francisco in the special team world and is coming back to Philadelphia. Fantastic story, former player at the University of Oregon, uh, has learned the coaching ranks here with the 49ers. Now he is in charge of the Eagles special teams. And I found it interesting coach uh, talking to Coach Nick about Michael and their relationship and how Michael impressed Nick Sirianni. And he did it not by word of mouth necessarily, although it certainly helped. He did it face to face. Let's hear what Nick said about the interview with Michael Clay. Michael's interview was incredible. I've told this to our staff. I told that I said this guy's interview, he anything we threw at him, he had an answer for. And it was a good detailed answer that he's thought through. When you're really ready for an interview, it's because you've been preparing for that interview for years, right? You can't just prepare for an interview in a night, right? You can't, hey, Michael, we're calling you up. We want you to interview tomorrow. Cool. All right, boom, <laughs> hang up the phone. I'm going to start preparing. No, you prepare for that interview as you go along the, your course of your career, right? You take little things from each person and what he, you can just tell that this guy has been preparing for being a special teams coordinator for his entire career, right? He's He's been around good guys. He's He knows the situations that he's, he knows what he wants to run. He knows exactly how he wants to coach it. What a great tool it's gonna be for a, a backup player too, right? I I, can, I have an opportunity to talk to a backup player like My, Michael Clay in, in a sense was a backup. He was the assistant special teams coach. He was the backup. But what did he do? He prepared like he was a starter over and over and over and over and over again. And now he's a starter. All right. Now we have Michael Clay. And Michael, welcome. Uh, Dave Spadaro here. It's been a few seasons. 2015, the last time I saw you. You look good. Uh, hey, how have you grown as a coach, do you think, in that time? Uh, Dave, once again, glad to be back. Happy to be back uh, out here on the East Coast. Um, in terms of his growing, I think it's just, uh the learning experience i mean like you said in 2015 it was only my second year as a coach um fast forward now five years later uh i've gone through the ups and downs i've gone through a 2-14 and 14 season i've gone through uh six minutes from glory of being uh, a super bowl champion so i think in in all in all you hit some peaks you hit some valleys but it helps you grow i mean if um you're able to get through a 2-14 and 14 season then a couple years later, you get to the to the final game. I think uh, you're going to learn some stuff about yourself and how to make uh, the team better in, in a short period of time, which I'm really looking forward to. So if you could share some of the things that you learned, because I'm not sure Michael fans really understand that everybody's thrilled to be in the NFL. We all love it here. But we're here to win. And when you don't win, it's really hard. And then you turn it around and you figure out, 
this is how you get to the Super Bowl. And there are lessons learned along the way. Um, how has everything changed um, you as a, as a coach? And, and what have you learned about the profession during that time? Um, you know, what really changed me is just in terms of to get everyone back to playing week in and week out 110%, you just got to understand where they're coming from. And I think that's what I learned uh, from Philadelphia to through San Francisco now coming back is if you're able to correlate and uh, get in touch with all these guys, because as a special teams coach, you're not just working with the long snapper, kicker, punter. You get to work with everyone from the quarterback down, offensive linemen. They got to protect on field goal. You get, you have a sense of, you get to know everyone. So when you get to know everyone, you get to know their stories and you get to, you find ways to motivate them to, no matter what the situation is, you could be 13 and one, or you could be one and 10 in order to get them to come out and give play to their potential. Uh, just finding those little things to connect with those guys, I think really helped me take me to where I am now from starting as a quality control to now a, a coordinator is just understanding people and understanding how to get the best out of them may not be through yelling or something like that. It's just finding a correlation, a bridge from the game plan to that person to help them understand, hey, th- if we do this, it's going to help our team and it's going to help you individual individually become the best player you possibly can. Michael, you mentioned the quality control job. So it was quality control coach here, then assistant special teams coach. Uh, you also worked with strength and conditioning. So there's versatility there. Are there common threads with all of that? And kind of is, is that the way to do it, kind of going up that coaching ladder? I think I, I do believe in it. You have to pay your dues. Um, starting as a quality control, then, you know, the more you, you, you show to the higher-ups that you're able to, to teach these guys, coach these guys, then you get the promotion here and there. But the big correlation I got from quality control assistant and working in the strength staff is I work with everyone. Um, quality control, you're working with the defense, but you're also working with the offensive players, giving them the scout team looks that the defense needs. In terms of assistant special teams, like I said earlier, you work with everyone. And in the strength world, you're working with everyone as well because you're trying to get them in their tip-top shape to go out there in the field and play. And I think that year in um, 17, when I worked both special teams and the strength and condition, I think that really reassured myself into being, all right, I really do enjoy being a coach, you know, wearing two hats, but still being able to get the best out of players on the field and enjoying that situation in terms of, as a coach, seeing the growth of, you know, a rookie or a second-year guy having a big impact. Uh, you'll hear me hear a lot uh, say or refer a lot to Raheem Mostert, who we had here in Philadelphia, to help him and help me become a better coach and him be a better player. Um, and that's just connecting with the guy between the special teams and the strength room then sticking to special teams. Michael, look, you played college football, I'm sure, and we'll get into that in a minute here. Um, everybody wants to be a star on the field. Not every player is a star or a starter, for that matter. So what is the mindset to excel on special teams? What does a player have to believe to go out there and do it? Uh, Like you said, it's just a complete mindset. Um, If you're playing two special teams, be the best two special teams player out there. And if you have that mindset where you're unstoppable, because you could be a dominant special teams player and put fear into other guys as you would on offense or defense, there's coordinators out there. There's teams out there that when they say they see you, especially like, oh, 
that guy, that guy's a game wrecker. We got, we got to send two. We got to send three guys to him. I think it's no different than offensive defense. You can be an absolute game wrecker on special teams. And if you have that mindset, like nobody could stop me on the outside or stop me on the interior, it's one of those things where it gets your confidence up. And now you're playing at an elite level where it's like, this guy needs to be stopped or, or we can't, we can't get anything going. And there is the same accolades. You could be an all pro special teams player. You could be a, a pro bowl special teams player. So, there is no difference from offense and defense. You just, in special teams, you're not playing 60 plays. You're playing 25, but you got to be elite at those 25 plays you're playing. Michael, you were a game wrecker at the University of Oregon um, on the <laughs> field. <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask you to describe your game. But you signed with the Dolphins, undrafted rookie in 2013. So you were very close to getting there. What is the difference between being a standout in college as a player and then that leap to the NFL? Uh, in the NFL, everyone's their standout at their college. So now you're thrown into a giant pool where everyone's the elite of the elite. And at times you're either, some people, you know, have elite athleticism that gets them in and everything like that. Or some people have elite smarts or they just find the perfect niche, uh, or they fall into the perfect team where it suits their best, uh, uh, abilities. So I think that's the biggest thing from college to the NFL is like in college, you could still be the best player going in that in that conference when you get to the nfl you got probably the best of the best from everywhere whether it's the alabamas or it's the the monmouth uh, universities or you know d3 schools where like you're still getting everyone's best and it just depends on where you fall or and how you you know attribute that test or you take that next step to being all right this i'm now i'm a professional football player i gotta treat it like a, a fortune 500 business what was your game like? What, what, why, why did you not become an NFL player? Give me a little self-scouting. Uh, I probably wasn't fast enough uh, nor big enough. Uh, but my biggest attribute for myself, at least in college, was I, was I was able to think, I think, as a coach. So the film study for me was probably my best attribute. I could diagnose different formations and know what play was coming to that. And I think that would also help me become a and then uh, a coach is taking that from probably halfway through my junior year to my senior year is looking at the film from like a coach's eye, then trying to transfer it over to, to the field right there. So I think that was what helped me uh, kind of envision myself as a coach was kind of taking that type of uh, mentality. So was it in your mind that if the playing thing didn't work out that you would be a coach or like, did you grow up saying, Hey, you know, I really want to be in this game somehow, whether it's player, coach, or whatever it might be. No, I think it just worked out like that. I was actually going to go back to Oregon work on my master's. I wanted to be a probation officer uh, and work in my uh, major with Family and Human Services. But then Chip gave me a call, I think it was on a January, after the um, New Orleans-Philadelphia uh, playoff game. And he's like, hey, I got this spot open for defense quality control. Do you want to take it? And I was like, I'm not going to say no to an NFL job. So my first job was uh, going to Mobile, Alabama for the senior poll. Me and my uh, my one uh, suitcase. <laughs> and that's a pretty daunting environment with everybody in the league there. And a lot of people, you know, looking for jobs in the stands, guys who've coached in the league for a long time. So it's really a crazy environment. And you mentioned Chip. I mean, I wanted to ask you about influential coaches. Clearly, Chip was extremely important to you in your career what how did you connect with chip and and you know kind of how did he know that you had that that kind of mindset 
to help him uh, here in Philadelphia? I think it, it helped. Um, one, playing for Chip for four years at the University of Oregon. Um, then I think he, he, under, he saw that, you know, going into my junior and senior year, I was catching on to his, his hand signals and understanding what plays were and, and hearing his, his lingo and trying to mess with the offense um, during practice yelling out some of their plays, trying to mess up their offensive line. I think he saw that in terms of how I carried myself from almost that type of perspective um, on the defensive side. Other coaches that you'd like to give credit to, to helping you reach this point, whether you, oh, yeah. you know, I'm sure along the way you kind of picked a little bit, uh, something from everybody. Yeah. I mean, it starts uh, with Don Pelham, uh, my linebacker coach, uh, tough coach, but he, he really, helped me become a student of the game in terms of how to study film and everything like that. Um, obviously, all the guys I've worked under, Dave Phipp, Darius Swinton, Stan Kwan, and Richard Hightower. Uh, I mean, I've learned a lot of things, you know, especially with Phipp, getting into the special world with him and the success he had from 13, 14, 15, and 16. I mean, it was almost probably almost unmatched with the amount of blocks and returns he had um, to Darius. Um, now the, the special teams coordinator with the Chargers, um, you know, just having everything so detailed and organized like that. Then from Stan and, and, and Richard, the last five years or last four years in San Fran was the connectability to the other players, having them want to play for you and stuff like that. So I think I'll take something from everyone um, that what kind of molded me to where I'm at now uh, in my career. So you mentioned earlier about the Super Bowl experience and, um, you know, Eagles back in 2004 played the Super Bowl, lost. It was crushing to everybody. What was that experience like for you? Like you, you take the, the emotional feeling that you had from the highs and lows of that game? Because I know coaches are robots, right? You're not supposed to feel any emotion, but it's impossible not to. And have you kind of like used that, um, I don't know, to fuel you or to – or have you just kind of wiped it away? What was it like? Uh, you know, after the game, it was like almost emotionless. I didn't know what to feel. I was just kind of in a haze for the most part. Um, but I, I think I took it. One, I was very grateful to be in that. You know, not a lot of people can say they were able to coach unless you're Tom Brady and you just, you just <laughs> drop off in there every every year to be able to coach or play in that type of game. Um, one, I just learned a lot, like it just the amount it took just to get there, um, the, the amount of hours and everything like that, but it's not something where it's like, I can't rewatch the game. Um, it's something where it's like a, it's like a fine wine, like you taste it, you, you want some more of it. So it's, it's something that you're, you're always itching for, um, in terms of you want to reach that pinnacle and you want to be, you know, at the top of the mountain. Um, in terms of that. So it's nothing where I hold a grudge or anything like that, or I can't watch or anything. I think it's just a, a very valuable learning experience where you really want to get back there and this time finish the job. And so you've got that NFC championship ring, and I'm sure that you're not parading that thing around. Uh, I am not. Uh, that's for <laughs> sure. Uh, I will not be parading that around. <laughs> hey, uh, so Nick described your, we heard it earlier, your interview is quote, off the charts. You said that your preparation, you were so ready for the moment. Um, is is Was that something you had envisioned for many years, Michael, that you were going to be sitting in that chair at some point and here is my here is my 
my chart to get ready, my my book, my 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 resume that I'm going to present to you. Was it a long time in the making? Uh, I wouldn't say it's super long in the making. I think it's the last couple years in the making. I know I did tell myself I would love by the by a certain age to get an interview. Um, and I was able to kind of fulfill that this past year. And, you know, if I was able to get the shot, I knew I had a chance, by the way, once again, learning from all the, the coordinators I learned under, um, to be able to go out there and, you know, regardless if I knew the person interviewing me or not, being able to put forth what I did know and, and hopefully having a good enough, um, set off a good enough impression where like, all right, this guy knows what he's talking about and, and hopefully get that, that next job. And fortunately enough, Nick, uh, felt confident in me and, uh, he called me on a Thursday. He's like, you want the job? I was like, absolutely. So I think, uh, <laughs> The last couple of years, I really, uh, Richard Hightower really helped me prepare myself for that opportunity to, if, if and when I did get the call, hey, you're going to be prepared and you're going to go out there and try and crush it. Okay, so channel your inner probation officer for me and let's take it outside the game of football. Um, you're you're going to reach people, right? You're a probation officer. What's the lesson that everyone can take from that experience? That you responded to a moment and you took advantage of the opportunity. Uh, you know, in terms of just reaching out there, in terms of that, when you reach it and you taste it, it's almost like a euphoric type of atmosphere and you want to get it again and get it again. So for guys reaching out to these guys, like once you taste, you know, it's like a snowball effect. You get your first tackle, you're going to get three more in the next two weeks. So it's almost you want to keep when you have momentum, you don't want to let it go. You want to keep that thing locked in for as long as possible. And it's going to and now you've got it. The next person you reach, they got it. Now it just turns into a wildfire. And now we're, we're all you know playing at such a high level. It's almost one of those things where like, all right, these guys are not to be messed with. We got to you know, tread lightly on these guys or we will get burned. Kick the door in. Okay, so you're 29 years old. Uh, I can't believe what, you, you were 24. How old were you when you were in Philadelphia the first time? Six minus nine. You were 23 uh, years old? Yeah. Uh, did you, by the way, do you have your same apartment from, from back then? Or have you, <laughs> now that you're on, now that you're on special teams coordinator salary, you can actually like get a nice place. You know, I'm, I moved, I, I'm not in the South Philly area. I just moved a little North, but, um, I'm, I'm not in the same apartment. Um, but <laughs> I have a nice little spot to, to, to lay my head at now. Um, Hey, how, speaking of that, um, because everybody, everybody out there thinks that like, if you're a coach in the NFL, you're super rich assistant special teams coach in san francisco describe <laughs> what, what describe what your living environment was like what kind of what kind of uh, mansion did you have out there uh shout out to my guy crowley we were roommates here <laughs> in philadelphia we were still roommates until in san francisco until last year or a year and a half but always got to have a roommate at least to, to split the bill in san francisco uh one to help him out and one to help myself out so you're, you're going to be you're going to be roommates for a little bit longer than you expect uh, in your early to late 20s. Yeah. Lesson to all of you who want to be an NFL coach. Uh, Michael, uh, at your age, is that a, is that have you found it to be an asset to be able to relate to players who are basically your peers? Uh, yeah, I think it, it is an asset, but it also I think I've had enough training. Like you said, when I first started, I think I was like 22, 23. Um, being able to relate to guys that are probably way older than me, um, 
And in terms of if if I understand what I'm trying to convey to the guys, I think they'll buy in regardless of what, what it is. And I think that'll be the same thing here. You know, there will be guys losing me, but I think I'll be able to, to reach with them um, in different aspects, just by understanding what I'm trying to convey to them and them hearing that and like, all right, I can relate to that. I think it will help out uh, immensely. Michael, what is the daily message going to be to the Philadelphia Eagles special teams? I think the daily message is, you know, when we step on that field, one, we're going to play fast. We're going to be, we're going to be disciplined. We're going to be fearless. We're going to be focused, disciplined, and fearless when we're out there. And the biggest thing is it's football. Let's have fun. When we're out there, when you make a big play, have fun. You know, enjoy it. Celebrate with your teammates. Because at the end of the day, you want to have that same feeling that you did in, in Pop Warner or in high school when you were the guy out there, when you were the man, the all-state player out there. Have fun. And I think that's the biggest thing you'll see out of, out of, out of our team is when we're out there, we're going to be playing, we're going to be playing fast. We're also going to have fun out there, but we're also going to be some, some disciplined players out there. And hopefully in front of a packed house at Lincoln Financial Field. Michael, have you envisioned what it's going to be like to stand up in front of the entire special teams, which is basically the entire roster um, for the very first time in your career? Have you rehearsed any of that in, in your head right now? Uh, I really haven't rehearsed it. One, I've given the, I've been given the opportunity in San Francisco uh, to do it in the fourth preseason game. They allow me to run the, the the Saturday night meeting before or the last meeting before the game. So it's not something I will be uh, novice to. And when I first got here, uh, Dave Phipp, uh, he always had a rule meeting and the assistant had to do it. So that was my first time really getting in front of the whole thing. So it won't be something where uh, I'll be a fish out of water, but uh, it will be uh, a new feeling being the head guy in front of everyone. But once I uh, get that first clip going, it's like the first hit in football. Once you get it out, the butterflies are out. Now you're just rolling with it. Michael Clay, welcome back to Philadelphia. Special teams coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, very excited to see you in person again. It's been a long time. Uh, so hopefully that happens soon. But in the meantime, thanks for joining me in the podcast. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm excited for the, this upcoming year. Also on this Eagles Insider podcast presented by Lincoln Financial Group, we mourn the loss of Eagles Hall of Famer Irv Cross. 81 years old, he passed away early Sunday morning in Minnesota. And I know that the younger people of today don't really know Irv Cross, but somebody who was, well, one of the pioneers in the game of football. He was a seventh round draft pick of the Eagles in 1961, spent six years in Philadelphia as a player, and then joined the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, he was a Pro Bowl player uh, before he was traded to the Rams with pretty crazy stuff. Returned to the Eagles as a player, defensive backs coach, and was a coach through 69 and 70. Um, then he really kind of made himself a national name. He became a broadcaster. And he was not only a broadcaster, he was a great broadcaster. He joined CBS Sports in 1971 as a game analyst. And a fantastic career took place. And the broadcast team back then of Brent Musburger, Irv Cross, Phyllis George, who was the first woman in a prominent broadcast role in the world of sports, and Jimmy the Greek Snyder was legendary. Here is Brent Musburger talking about Cross and the impact that he had in the broadcast world. 
the dorm. And I got up one Saturday morning, and there was a uh, a young man, and he was uh, dropping the towels off for the men's room, uh, you know, replenishing the dispensers and, and the soap and everything. And um, he just looked like an athlete to me. And, and I, I just started the conversation. And it was Irv Cross, and he was, his job, he was assigned to a couple of dormitories. That's how he earned his scholarship. Back in that day, uh, the NCAA required a little job-related activity. And I, as far as I, I know, or might have even, um, maybe, maybe even they've allowed them to be paid for that. I, you know, I don't know that. But so almost every Saturday morning, that I, you know, Irv and I would, would talk about sports. And back in that day when he played for Northwestern, you played both ways, okay? It was a two-way game back in the day. So along with being a defensive back, which he became in the NFL, he was a terrific receiver because he was, Cross came out, I believe it was the Gary, Indiana area, as I recall. I around the steel, yeah, the steel mill country around, around the Yes, yes, that's, and that's over in Gary. That's just across the border. Uh, from Illinois, and um, I, I will tell you from that. Now he goes to the NFL. He was a, just a terrific athlete. They became a perfect time a coach and uh, had his career, and then wanted to come into broadcasting. And uh, and they had by that time I'd gone to CBS and hadn't really been around her, but um, they had a CBS ask if uh, if I would like to. Uh, work alongside her across. I said, are you kidding me? You know, and um, and so I think he and I, before the founding of the NFL, we probably did a couple of half times together. Okay. Uh, and, then, uh, and then, of course, we had Phyllis George, the first guy. But let me say this about her. I've been around all kinds of people uh, from every walk of life, and I don't know that I could give you one person who was nicer than her cross. Um, he was the constant gentleman. Uh, back in his days at Northwestern, he could not have been more pleasant on those Saturday mornings when uh, when he was working for his scholarship. And um, I just, you know, we, we had some pretty big egos later, and, and Irv was not one of them. Um, I wish I could give you one moment during the NFL today when he and I worked together where he ever got upset about anything, but I can't remember it. Um, you know, he was our football expert, uh, but, uh, you know, he never he never pressed himself, and, and, and he enjoyed working with everybody. I also, I can't remember him ever missing a broadcast either, by the way. Um, yeah, 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 he was there. You know, Phyllis took his leave of absence, later came back. Jimmy the Greek missed some days, but I, but I can always count on her. And, I, and the other thing, I kind of, you know, flew up by the seat of my pants, and whatever I would ask her, he, would, he, he, he could always handle the question. I mean, it was just, you know, it was not formatted. And, uh, but, I, but I can't get over what a, what a nice, in hindsight, what, what a gentleman he was. It's funny, you know, it's just a couple of days ago, I'm up in Montana right now at our home, and 
my wife and I were driving from Las Vegas up to Montana. And every time I go through the town of Pocatello, Idaho, which I did, I think about Irv because he was the athletic director for a time at Idaho State. You know, I see the, uh, I see the school off to the left when I come up the interstate. You know, I always, always think about Irv. I wonder how Irv's doing, you know, and, uh, but he was, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed, I, I enjoyed working with him every minute of the time that I, uh, because, you know, it, Younger generation doesn't know him as an athlete. I, I will tell you, when he was he was playing for Harold Parsegian, he, he was a heck of an athlete. Uh, he was just a great, great player. Cross was on the NFL today for 14 seasons, 23 years total with CBS Sports. He was the first black recipient of the Pete Rosell Award in 2009 and is thus in, enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So we mourn the loss of Irv Cross, a gentleman, Absolutely 100% of the way, a legend for what he did on the field and what he brought to the NFL in the broadcast booth. Okay, so to finish up here on the Eagles Insider Podcast presented by Lincoln Financial Group, Brandon Graham, the Pro Bowler, doing some work in the community. Let's hear what he is doing and how you can get involved. Brandon Graham, I know it's the offseason, but you're doing a lot of things in the community as well. You're always busy in the community. You really, you really care about people, don't you? Man, I do, man. Uh, because I know it takes uh, everybody, you know, to do their part. And I just feel like whatever kind of presents itself, you know, for me to help somebody, um, I always take that in consideration. So uh, you could say that I, I do like, I love helping. All right. So if Eagles fans go to letsengage.com slash Brandon, they will find a Brandon Graham Phil Abundance sweepstakes. So the purpose here is that you're going to be part of a sweepstakes here. The grand prize winner wins a, a signed authentic jersey. You get to do a little Zoom interview, get to play Madden with you, and then a portion of the proceeds benefit Phil Abundance, an incredible organization working to feed the hungry throughout the Delaware Valley. Um, Brandon, how have fans responded to this? I know you're going to pick a bunch of winners, multiple winners here. Uh, why, why do it this way? I know you're going to announce this on April 10th. So, uh, that's important, um, for people to know. And all they have to do is go to letsengage.com slash Brandon. And, um, uh, Brandon, let, tell me about it. Tell me about this idea and, and why this means so much to you. Uh, this was just an opportunity to raise some money and, uh, to get somebody to get to meet me, you know, and, and obviously play Madden uh, is, is a popular thing uh, for, for our youth. Me growing up playing, I always follow Madden, so I thought it was a pretty cool idea. Um, and I just really, really the experience of just, you know, getting to know me if you if you don't know already uh, some things and um, just get to see me off camera, you know what I'm saying, like off the, off the football field and, and get to talk to me a little bit and I get to learn about uh, somebody new too. So, you know, it's just, um, it was just a thing to kind of come up with raising some money, but doing something fun and, and giving my time to, uh, people, you know, that normally wouldn't get it. Um, you know what I'm saying? Uh, get an opportunity to, cause, um, you know, only time people get to do stuff is when we have events and certain things, but right now, cause of COVID, uh, this is one of the safest things, but fun things that we could do together. BG, you're the man. Thanks so much. 
That will do it for this Eagles Insider podcast presented by Lincoln Financial Group. I'm Eagles Insider Dave Spadaro. Thanks to Peter Kelly, Ray Doyle, Trevor Hayes for their work. Thanks to all of you for joining us on the Eagles Insider podcast. We're going to continue to meet the coaches next week. How about defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon? Big, big responsibilities, and you can only hear from him here on the Eagles Insider Podcast presented by Lincoln Financial Group. We'd love to get some reviews from you. Very much appreciate that. You can find a link in the details section of your podcast library. Insider Dave Spadaro here saying thanks so much for joining everyone. Have yourselves a great Eagles day. And as always, fly Eagles fly. In just over three years, Eagles Autism Foundation has raised millions of dollars for autism research and care. But this is about so much more than just fundraising. This is about making a transformational difference in the lives of those affected by autism. This is about bringing our community together. With inclusive, sensory-friendly events and accessible resources, we meet families where they need us most and where we can serve them best. Together, we're united in our mission to improve the lives of the autism community and to turn awareness into action. It's what we focus on every day in every way.